Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards. I'm your host, Caleb Moore, and today I have Daniel Jones on the podcast. He is a former Rama student and was highly involved in the Word of Faith movement. I think you're really going to enjoy it today, but I also want to let you know, coming up, uh, we have some really incredible guests that we've signed up for this podcast. I don't know how we're getting so lucky, uh, but Lee Strobel is going to be on, and we're going to talk about his new book on heaven. And then we're going to have uh, astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross, and I've really been wanting to talk to him about Little Green Men. So we are going to talk about Christianity and UFOs, so that's going to be a really exciting one. If you are listening to this and you're a regular listener or a new listener, I want to encourage you. I don't have a Patreon. Um, I don't want you to give just to give to support this. If you would like to support podcasts like this, you can go to my website, calebmore.tv, and get a copy of uh, my latest book called The Disappearing Garden, Surviving Babylon When You Were Made for Eden. It's available for $15, uh, or you can get it on Amazon too, but Amazon keeps most of my money. So go to calebmore.tv and get that. So that being said, let's start the music. I'm here with Daniel Jones. Daniel, thank you for joining us. We are so excited to have you on. Now, you reached out to me after the last podcast we did that was on Bethel. And you shared a little bit of your experience. And you're from the Oklahoma area. I went to school in the Oklahoma area at which is like the Bethel of Oklahoma called Rama, and I really enjoyed just kind of the conversation that we had. So I was like, hey, why don't you come on and share a little bit of your story and experience so it's not just coming from my end as somebody who can criticize it from the outside but was never actually in it. I want to hear kind of um, a little bit of your story of how did you end up at um, Rama here in, in Tulsa? And correct me if I'm wrong, you said you were ordained under Kenneth Copeland Ministries? No, I was actually licensed under oh, licensed. Kenneth Hagen. Okay. So, Kenneth Hagen. Yeah. yeah, the branch of Rama that does the credentialing, the licensing and ordaining is called Rama Ministerial Association International. And that's what I was licensed under. I wasn't licensed for a super long time, but I had been preaching even before I was licensed. Okay. And uh, did, you, did you just have to pay money to get that? Or did you have to go to a couple of classes to become a licensed minister and preach? Well, you technically were supposed to be a graduate of Rama, And when I got my license, I had already completed the two-year program. And I was going for a third year because they have some third and fourth year kind of specialties, as they call them. And so in my third year, I was already preaching fairly regularly. I mean, not every week or anything, but sometimes once or twice a month. And so in order to get it, you had to have already been in the pulpit and you had to pay a fee, which you would, they would do a background check and things like that. And then uh, you would be approved by uh, the regional director at the time, which who's actually out of Mustang, Oklahoma, Okay. Uh, a guy named Craig Teddy. And then the kind of final approval was, by Doug Jones, who was the national director of Rama. I don't know if I'm allowed to name names, but that's... Uh... <laughs> that's what this podcast does a lot of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much how it happened. So you were highly involved in the, would you call it word of faith, prosperity gospel, or are they kind of jumbled together in your mind? 
really in my mind, I've heard people make distinctions, but Caleb, to be honest, they kind of, I've never met somebody who was word of faith without having the prosperity gospel right? and vice versa. I mean, it's, they really go together. It's really hard to distinguish the two. Yeah. I don't know how you would separate, uh, kind of name it, claim it from, because that leads to prosperity, right? So, so absolutely. For, for those who aren't familiar, describe a little bit, what is kind of like the foundation of word of faith? Why would it, why do they call it that at all? So the, the, it comes from the scripture in Romans 10 that says that is the word of faith, which we preach that uh, if you confess with your mouth, mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And there's a lot of what they end up doing is they end up cherry picking a lot of different scriptures and kind of forming it together to make a doctrine. Okay. But it's a little deeper than that because they, it really, they, they make a distinction between sense knowledge, meaning with our, our intellect and revelation knowledge, as they call it, which is like, you know, which is supposed to come from the Holy Spirit living within us. Right. Uh, that the Holy Spirit enlightens your spirit is kind of the way they would word it. And they take the scripture, it's in Proverbs, and I don't remember where, that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. And so they say your spirit with the Holy Spirit is the candle of the Lord. So, I mean, a lot of cherry picking, a lot. So they'll take certain scriptures that looking back, I, I'm like, how did I not see that this was entirely taken out of context? How did I take it out of context personally yeah. as often as I did? And they'll say, well, you know, the Lord spoke to me through this scripture. Okay, well, God speaks through his word. We know that. But if you take scripture and say, well, the Lord spoke to me through the scripture, but you read these surrounding parts of it and realize what you think God told you is completely taking that scripture out of context, there's something seriously wrong. When I think of word of faith, I, I tend to think of kind of one of the principal teachings that I hear when I listen to these pastors is being careful about what you're going to say because your words manifest reality. Like you speak things into existence. Joel Olstein even does a form of this. And I would say he's a prosperity preacher that if you're, you know, if you're having a bad day, don't say you're having a bad day, say you're having a blessed day and it'll make it blessed. Or if you're poor, don't talk about being poor. Talk about how God is bringing wealth your way. And it's kind of the law of attraction mixed with Christianity where if as long as you say it out loud, your words kind of create this reality. Did you hear much of that? All the time. I mean, one of the things with Rama is you'll notice, like I remember somebody would ask me, you know, if I was having an off day, how you doing, brother? And I would say, well, not too good, but with the grace of God, things will get better. And they'll say, well, brother, that's not a good confession. You need to say I'm blessed and highly favored. Yeah, And so I kind of believed that at the time, but what it ultimately leads to is a real sense of superficiality because, and I remember, Caleb, I, I remember going through some serious struggles kind of personally, but one of the problems you run into is you can't really discuss it with anybody because it's a bad confession, right? So you're kind of left on your own and certainly seeking the Lord in prayer. And obviously that's the answer, but God also created us to have fellowship with each other. I mean, and you can't really do that if it's all, you can't say what you're really thinking or that's what you're true. really going through. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Like if you've always got to be positive and if you've always got to put this like kind of plastic smile on your face, because you're afraid if you say, you know, um, I'm not feeling well, then you're actually inviting sickness in. So you have to say, even if you don't feel 
good. You have to say, I'm feeling great because that's what's going to, that's like your, the cure for your sickness is to never admit that you're sick. But when you read like the Psalms, I mean, there's these gut wrenching cries of how bad things are. Um, and so it just doesn't seem, yeah, that, that seems like a really dangerous mix that's going to keep people from actually getting to know each other on a deeper level and besides just a superficial, I'm okay. Yeah, it does. And the scripture they take that out of is, again, another one in Proverbs. It's <clears throat> life and death is in the power of the tongue, mm -hmm. and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Yeah. But if you understand that scripture in context, <clears throat> it's talking about, I mean, our words do have power to a point. I mean, you know, obviously, if I, my wife does something that, you know, upsets me and I say, you know, what in the daylights is wrong with you kind of thing. Yeah. Well, granted, the way I approach her about it is going to either edify her or just shut her down. And ultimately, I mean, we have to, you know, and, and Caleb, I mean, I know you're married and you have a family. So, I mean, obviously, we have to be real. There's times we have to confront things and we yeah. have to be blunt about it. But but we can do it in a way that does not tear the other person down. Yeah. And really, if you, we understand the context of that scripture, that's what it's referring to. Yeah, it's not about... I think a lot of it is the kind of you're a little G God and if God can create things by, you know, just speaking them into existence and you can do the same just on a smaller scale that you can create, you know, you say, I am blessed and highly favored. Well, those things are true. Um, but it doesn't lead to my bank account growing by me just no. saying that over and over. And this is very much the theology of like Oprah Winfrey. And it's amazing. It's always the theology um, it's very held up by people who are already successful. And you ask them, how did you get successful? It's not hard work. It's not discipline. It's not, I never gave up. It's, I spoke it into existence. You know, Conor McGregor, mm -hmm. a UFC fighter who I, I used to like, I still, I don't know. I, I watch his fights cause it's a train wreck. Um, but <laughs> he has that very same thing. Like he's, he's like, I'm declaring I'm going to win. I've already won. I'm just speaking it into existence. Like all this money, he's just, he'll say things like that. And I'm like, but you also worked really, really hard, but you give people kind of this false hope. You can have what I have. If you just say what I say. A hundred percent. And it really, they, their theology really takes it back to Genesis that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what they'll say is I say, well, God is a faith God which is true, but not in the context that they mean it. Yeah. But I mean, and so God believed and then he spoke the world into existence and he used his faith. So therefore, since we're made in the image of God, we can do the same thing. And you mentioned the little gods thing. And that's, you know, it's interesting because back, I think back in the eighties and nineties, that was really, really pushed head on. Yeah. They still believe it, but it's not, it's a little more subtle now. They've, I think they've toned that down probably because they got a lot of criticism for it. Right. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But Kenneth Hagin even made the statement that every Christian is as much an incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth and Christianity is a miracle. And there's kind of a backstory to that. He actually plagiarized that from E.W. Kenyon, but that's another kind of side of the story. But I mean, and Kenneth Hagin is the founder of Rama Church and Bible School, correct? Yeah. So it's he's kind of the way the story goes is that Kenneth W. Hagen, his son, was the one who started Rama, but Kenneth E. Hagen, the dad Hagen, as we used to call him, was the founder of Rama, but he really wasn't, apparently. Okay. But, I mean, he is practically idolized there. I mean, yeah. it's 
I remember it, it just, it used to sicken me the way it was like, brother Hagen, this brother Hagen, that I'm like, what about Jesus? I mean, it just, there were a lot of red flags even early on because of that. I'm like, this sounds more like idolatry than anything else. Yeah, it's the cult of personality, which is what I think we see with all of these kind of hyper charismatic. And let me just kind of a disclaimer. This is not an attack on people who are charismatic. I have friends that are Bible believing charismatic. I, I have nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm not a, a cessationist per se. Uh, I kind of in, in a middle ground there. I think the apostolic gifts, of course, have ceased, but um, I, I don't think there are people with the gift of healing that heal every time. Uh, I think he, God heals sometimes, right? So there's kind of like a hard cessationist, and I don't know anybody who's a hard cessationist that says the Holy Spirit doesn't work anymore and God doesn't heal anybody anymore. I don't. I think that's a straw man that some charismatics use. As soon as we start to critique them, like, oh, you're a cessationist. You don't think God does anything anymore. Um, but this is not an attack on that. This is kind of more that hyper-charismatic with a cult of personality. Like mm -hmm. uh, Bethel has Bill Johnson and everybody, they call him Papa Bill in the same way that yeah. uh, you would have that language there. It, it's a very much cult-like atmosphere. But there's a lot of Christianity language and talk wrapped all around it that you might not find in another cult. Um, let me just ask this question straight out, and then we'll get a little bit more into uh, your experience at Rama. Do you think that the people at the top of the ladder, because I understand there's people that go to that school that are just kind of ignorant of some of the things that's taught there. They love sure. Jesus. They have turned their life over to Jesus. Uh, sure. they're, they could be just, they're, they're saved believers or part of the family, but do you, would you consider people that are at the top that knowingly teach things that might be totally contrary to God's word? Do you think that they're believers? I have a hard time saying yes. I don't think so. And really the reason why is because to me, if, if you listen to what some of these people teach, some of it is utter blasphemy. And I know if I were to try to do that, I mean, I was, I taught word of faith, but I didn't teach those elements. I never believed, and I was unaware of some of the more extreme elements of it at the time. Even uh, I didn't find that out really until I kind of started look, thinking for myself, but some of the things like saying that Jesus wasn't God on earth and things like that, you cannot say that and have the Holy spirit dwelling inside you. Mm -hmm. I just, there's, we're not saved by works, but at the same time, if we are truly converted, there will be fruits in keeping with repentance. Yeah. And to your point, Caleb, I mean, it's, you know, this is not, again, not a charismatic cessationist argument. I, I very much am a cessationist, but I, I do not deny that God still heals. I don't deny right. any of those things. And I don't know a cessationist that does. What we're saying is that God is sovereign and he does so as he wills. But the sign gifts, as in the apostolic age, have ceased because, I mean, we could get into a whole theological right, argument right. on that. Yeah. That's not kind of not the purpose here, but that's, yeah. but no, I mean, we're, we're not at war with charismatics here we're at right. war with false, false doctrine that yeah. the, the, the false theological who claim they speak i mean these people they always they hear from god all day long i was having a shower and god told me this and on my way to work god told me this and i, I hear some of them because i listen to way more of this stuff than i would ever want anybody else to but they're like yeah this morning i went up into the third heaven and i was sitting next to jesus and we were talking about my day and he asked my opinion on something and I told him this and I'm like, yeah, no, you're, you're lying about all of that. You're, you're lying and using Jesus to try to justify that. Now, let me get back to, 
I'll sidetrack too. So let me get back to while you are at Rama, how prevalent were some of the things that we might associate with hyper charismatics there? Does Rama have a strong presence of being slain in the spirit? Does it have any of the drunk in the spirit or barking in the spirit? Does it have any of those marks? I, I would not describe it as maybe as extreme as say like the Toronto blessing thing, like in right. the Toronto airport vineyard church back in the day. But there certainly were a lot of elements of those there. Um, the slain in the spirit kind of thing where the preacher lays his hand on you and you fall back and supposedly are slain in the spirit. There was quite a bit of that. There was a lot of getting around, running around in the spirit, as they call it. They actually had a term for it because it was so prevalent at Rama, and they called them the Rama runners. Um, <laughs> it was, but it, it, it honestly, it, it's kind of laughable to be honest with you. But yeah. looking back at it, um, it's although a good cardio I did workout during church, right? <laughs> you could say that. No, I did do those things at the time, yeah. and I was sincere. I thought truly I was doing it in the spirit. I was doing it as unto the Lord at the time. I was sincere in that, but. It's, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of, I mean, definitely speaking in tongues is a huge, huge thing there. Rama itself does not so much get into the drunk in the spirit thing as much. There are some people, some instructors there who will talk about back in the Jesus movement, they were really into that. But yeah. there are people there, individual people there that are very into that. And but so even if might, you're not, Yeah. Will it happen at a prayer meeting or does it happen during a Sunday morning service? When, when would those kind of things take place? So the slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, definitely in a Sunday morning service, speaking in tongues was all the time, yeah. um, just constantly. It was all over the place. Um, sl being slain in the spirit, I mean, practically every Sunday morning, not, well, I don't know about every Sunday morning, but a lot of Sunday mornings, but particularly they would have what's called winter Bible seminar every year, and they would have camp meeting every year. Mm -hmm. um, and that was certainly a lot more of it then, but it it was still happening pretty frequently, even year round. Um, now, let me ask when you were a Rama runner, when you felt something in like some kind of religious experience or the presence of God, and you would take off running around the sanctuary, describe for me a little bit about what you felt in that time. What, what was it that would cause you to do that? You know, at the time it was, it, it was kind of almost like I, I it, at first when I was there, I was wondering, like, why do people do that? But then sometimes they would say, if you feel an urge to run, just step out in faith and do it. Yeah. A lot of times I would do that. Not, again, with these experiences, many times I did experience something. It's not that the experience wasn't real. But the issue comes back to uh, do we are, are we defined by experience or do we let the word of God define our experience? Right. Your experience can be very real. I mean, that's, I'm not denying that, but if it's not, if it's an experience that's clearly not in, in line with scripture and these things certainly weren't, then it's not, we're to reject it. I mean, that's, I, it we, becomes, we yeah. Experience based culture and post-millennialism where your experience kind of defines truth. And I often tell when I go speak with students and stuff, I said, when I was younger uh, in middle school, there was a girl that sat about four chairs in front of me. And she would always look back and make eye contact. And I felt in the core of my core is that she was looking at me because she loved me, right? Like we were having this spark and this connection and everything within me, every single day I would show up to school and I'd just be staring at the back of her head, waiting for her to turn around and she would turn around and kind of smile. And I was like, we're going to get married. Like, this is it. And what I <laughs> thought my, from my experience was 
that she is looking because she loves me. Her experience was trying to figure out why this weirdo keeps staring at her. Right. So every now and then she would turn around <laughs> just to see if creepo Caleb was like just eyeballing the back of her head. And so my emotions, this is why Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things, that these experiences, it's, you can go to a rock concert, you can go to anything and get worked up into a, a fever pitch. And if somebody tells you what you're feeling is God now run around the room, a lot of people are going to go with that. Certainly. And don't, and I'm, by all means, there were times when I've worshiped God and I felt the Holy Spirit, what I truly believe is the Holy Spirit. And I felt his presence very strongly to where even at times it was like, you know, it, it's almost hard to stand that, but that is not, we are not to seek those things. If God does that, that's one thing. I, I think in my, my early days as a Christian, probably I experienced that a lot more because I came from a very rough background. I came out of drugs, alcohol, and even I was very involved in witchcraft. And uh -huh. mm. uh, so, I mean, I think it was God's mercy at the time because, I mean, of my background kind of helping me through that. But honestly, I don't really experience that much anymore. And I haven't for a number of years. And that's, I'm not discouraged by that. I don't think I've lost my salvation. God does those things as he sees fit. And he does it. He's sovereign. He can do those things. But that does not mean that that's the norm or we're to seek those things. And it's it, it really when you talk about experience, it's how do I put it? It's it it, it, it can almost become dangerous because because I'm reminded of something John Calvin said that I've really really speaks to you know the heart being deceitfully wicked above all things. Is John Calvin had mentioned had said one time that the human heart is an idol factory, right. and I think that's extremely true, especially because what happens is. With places like Rama or Bethel or Victory or anywhere like that, you you end up having sometimes these experiences are real. Now, granted, I believe a lot of times people are flat out lying, right? But many times they're real. But the problem is, you become so involved, taken up in the experience, you don't check. You're not being a. You can't really be objective, right. and we end up creating a Jesus in our own image. Uh, and going back to the Reformation in the early days, that's why they didn't want any statues or pictures of portraits of Jesus anywhere because yeah. it would lead to that that tendency of the human heart to bring God down to our level. And if there's two words I can say to define what word of faith does, it's dethroning God. It's trying yeah. to put us on the throne, taking God off the throne. If you really look into yep. the whole side of it, that's really truly really what it is. That, that's that tends to be the uh MO for most cults. My my mind Mormonism is I'm gonna call it a specialty, but it's a passion of mine. And it's really about dethroning God where I'm going to become my own God. I won't need him. Like they're not going to really need him because eventually they'll become gods of their own planet. They just kind of need him to, to get to where they want to go. And that's to be God. Now, Absolutely. I agree with, you know, I was thinking about what you were talking about with the experience and how so many people chase those. Um, when I was a youth pastor and we would go to church camp, we would call them mountaintop moments because mm -hmm. these kids would experience God. And they're like, oh, I wish we could stay here. But it always makes me think of when Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments. He has an experience with God where mm -hmm. it makes him literally glow. But mm -hmm. God doesn't like he doesn't say, hey, I just want to stay here. The whole point of whatever he experienced was to take it back down to those who did not have that experience, not to recreate it for them. It wasn't about let me show you how to get your face to glow. It was just merely let me tell you what God has said. 
And I think part of the fault of the charismatic movement is somebody has an experience and they want to recreate that for everybody else instead of taking what they have learned about God and passing it on. It's here's what I experienced and try to pass on an experience. Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, you mentioned Mormonism and the interesting thing about it is that in the early days of Mormonism, it looked a lot like Rama. Yep, it, it was, was a lot very, of speaking, very charismatic, very charismatic. Yeah, very much so. I mean, but so just, so the Mormons were speaking in tongues and everything. Does that make them Orthodox in their doctrine? Absolutely not. So but let that's me, the problem. When, when scripture talks about speaking in tongues, um, and I, I'm of the perspective that that can happen when it's scripturally defined. And the only reason I say that is because before I ever knew anything about it, and I, I try not to tell the story very often because I don't want to like have a humble brag of look what I did. But I, I was in Budapest uh, doing missionary work. My dad was a missionary. And so we went to Eastern Europe every summer. And there was a homeless man that I was sharing the gospel with and he got saved. And afterwards, the translator came over and said, Caleb, your Hungarian was perfect. Now, I spoke a little bit of Hungarian, but not enough to sit there and talk for 20 minutes with somebody back and forth. And I said, what do you mean? He speaks English. She goes, no, he doesn't. He's a homeless man in Hungary. He, does, he doesn't have any kind of education where he's going to learn English. I says, no, he's, we just talked English. She says, he was speaking Hungarian. You spoke perfect Hungarian. I said, let's go talk. And we go over there and she asks him, do you speak any English? And he's like, uh, right? Which is no English. Like he doesn't speak any English. I said, so what did you hear? And she talked to me, says, well, this man spoke Hungarian. Now I did not know it at the time. I was speaking my language. He was hearing his language. This man heard the gospel, got saved. We went back next year. This guy is no longer homeless. He is a church planner and had started like five to six different churches in Eastern Europe incredible praise god but yeah. i but i had no idea there was no way for me to get any glory from it because i was not even aware it was going on but yet it seems like tongues today people get a lot of attention when they do it it's not orderly according to scripture where if somebody does it it needs to be in order and then somebody immediately has to say this is what that person was saying right mm -hmm. is are those verses ever brought up and talked about when people are starting to speak in tongues? They are. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, they're again, very out of context. I mean, the experience that you had is very much in line with scripture. I mean, even as a, I mean, I, I again mentioned I'm a cessationist, so I, i certainly believe the gift of tongues has ceased. However, God in moments of sovereign grace can do exactly what he did for you that day. And that man ultimately came to faith. But see, it, the, it, and even further, Scripture teaches that tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And that was exactly what happened with you. But when tongues are brought up, you know, it's interesting because they'll, they'll talk about 1 Corinthians. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 13. I'm ashamed that I don't know it off the top of my head. But where it says tongues of, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, it said, oh, here's the tongues of men and angels, so it can be unknown. Yeah. Well, if you read that in context, Paul's talking in hyperbole. He also yeah. said, though I give my body to be burned. Well, he didn't yeah. do that. No. So tongues simply means languages. In the Greek there, it's glossolalia. It simply means languages. Tongue was an old English word for language. It's, and that's exactly what it was. It was earth, earthly languages, and it was meant to glorify God. But today, when we think of tongues, it's gibberish, and it's 
you it really just draws attention to the person it doesn't draw attention to the glory of god i've really seen it where it creates a hierarchy there are those who do it and those who don't and those who do it are better than the christians who don't speak in tongues um a lot of people will say that it's even required for salvation there's a a, a new apostolic church not like a mile from my church and that's part of their doctrine that if you are saved you will speak in tongues now it's always interesting that they'll point to Acts 2 and be like, see, they everybody started speaking in tongues when they received the Holy Spirit. But that was only one part of what happened. There was also tongues of fire above their head and a, a mighty rushing wind. How come nobody ever gets that? Why is it they, there's only one? So they are a cessationist to some degree. They believe that the mighty wind has stopped and the tongues of fire have stopped because they never talk about that. They just zero on in this one part. Absolutely. And that see, and that's, that's the thing. Caleb, one of the fundamental mistakes that many charismatics make with hermeneutics, with interpreting scripture is they'll take descriptive passages and try to read them as prescriptive. Yeah. So for example, like, as you mentioned, Acts 2, well, that's how they did it. So that's how we're to do it. The problem is we have to look at every script, everything we're reading, we have to view in light of all of scripture, the totality of scripture. Yeah. Any cult in every cult, every Christian cult, at least like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or something of the like, has certain scripture passages. They go to proof text. Mm -hmm. But the problem with proof texting is half the time it, it's taken – most of the time it's taken out of context. And you have to – that's why taking all of scripture, reading, every, reading scripture in light of all of scripture is so vitally important. Yeah. But also, too, with charismatics, I mean, one of the things you're often told is word of faith is to disconnect your mind and listen to your spirit. So, and, you know, the funny thing is, and I don't know why I just didn't really question this more, because before I was a Christian, I was practicing Wicca and things like that. Yeah. And in one of the, a lot of the meditation techniques you would do in witchcraft, you would disconnect your mind. That's what, and I don't know why I didn't think more of that, but it, but at the same time, you're almost scared to say that because you're one of the biggest fears you have as a charismatic is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But many times we don't, we, we don't have a proper understanding of what that means. I think most, in most cases yeah. either, but it's, but so at the same time, you're not only, are you not reading scripture in light of all of scripture, you're really put in a place where you're, you can't really think objectively. So you yeah. just typically just swallow it. Scripture tells us, come, let us reason together that your mind, love the Lord, your God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body, your mind should be engaged in your faith. And anybody tells you to disconnect your mind is just asking you to believe gobbledygook, right? Just believe nonsense, because mm -hmm. if you think about it, you're not going to believe it. So don't question it. Don't be a good Berean and, and test and see what they're saying matches up with the word of God that there's there's teachings in these churches that on a small scale seem innocent enough and like oh maybe they're just wrong on that because there's other churches where i go well i think they have that theology wrong but i don't see it as destructive but i see things like that about telling people to learn to shut their mind off to be very destructive for somebody that was involved in wicked and things like that if i'm disengaging my mind how do i know what spirit i'm opening myself up to how do I know what I'm allowing to be in my life that maybe shouldn't be there? Um, yeah. yeah, could be some, there could be some dangerous things, you know? Absolutely. And that's the problem, Caleb, is you don't have that because it's 
scripture, we call scripture the canon of scripture and canon in Greek, if I'm under, my understanding is right, means measuring stick. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is the way. So that's, if you can't, if, if, if your mind is disengaged to where you can't objectively measure everything by the word of God, you're set up really to believe almost anything. Yeah. And again, it's not a charismatic cessation. I mean, Wayne Grudem is uh, a brilliant theologian, one I respect highly, and I recommend his book, Systematic Theology, to anybody who will read it. Wayne Grudem is is a continuationist. Yeah. For those who think- aren't familiar with some of these terms, when we say cessationist, it means somebody who believes that the sign gifts have stopped. Uh, a continuationist would somebody say that um, the gift of healing uh, sometimes a continuation is somebody who believes that the apostle, the office of apostle still exists or the office of a prophet still exists. And yeah, w- Wayne Grudem is, uh, he's kind of the intellectual backbone for a lot of these people who might not, they can just always point to him like, oh, well, this scholar, but there's things where I think, I, I love Wayne, but I think there's things that he's wrong about. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about, I, I've, been, I've been kind of, I've always said I'm a continuist. Uh, though I used to be a cessationist, I flip flop <laughs> as I learn. Uh, but Doug Wilson recently, I was listening to him, and those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while might remember him a little while back. Uh, he was he's a cessationist, but then he says, But I don't believe I live in a purely naturalistic world. He mm-hmm. says, So I'm a cessationist, knowing that I live in a world where weird things happen. So he would prescribe like what happened to me as. Well, yes, we live in a supernatural world. Supernatural things are bound to happen, but the mm-hmm. office of apostle, the office of prophet are closed. Is, is prophecy, is like the gift of prophecy big at Raymond Church? Very much so. It's, that is, they, and the problem is, I mean, you'll hear people say, you know, well, I'm, the Lord gave me a word for you, or the Lord gave me a word for you. And it's, Really, it, the problem is nine times out of 10, maybe 8.5 times out of 10, I'm being generous there, but probably nine times out of 10, they're wrong. Yeah. And scripture is very clear that if you're a prophet, you are to be 100% accurate. And if you're not, you're a false prophet. Yeah. And I was one of those. I did prophesy things that I truly thought I heard God on, but I was wrong. So I, I was at one time a false prophet. I mean, I have no problem saying that, but it's the scripturally speak there's there's another that's the other thing too is they really kind of they'll it's again taking scripture out of context and saying how does god speak well you know they'll say the though one of the scriptures they'll use is in romans 8 that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god and they'll take that to say well if the spirit can bear witness with our spirit that we're the children of god then he can bear witness with us about who we're supposed to marry what job we're supposed to take or what whatever the case might be and they'll often say, listen for that still small voice. Yeah. And you listen for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, that goes back to, again, taking a descriptive passage and turning it into prescriptive. Elijah heard the still small voice of God. God did speak to him that way. Yeah. But nowhere does, is that, does that passage say that is how God always speaks. That is how we are to seek yeah, to hear it's God. A is, one, it's a one-time event, and we've made that. That's the only way he's ever going to talk now is a still small voice. I know he's yelled at me a few times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like and now, so one of the things that I see is a danger of all the prophecy that happens in churches like this, because I've seen it abused. When I was a youth pastor, 
boys would tell girls, I really feel like God says we should be together. Well, now that girl has a dilemma. If she does not date this guy, she's disobeying God. Because whenever you bring in, whenever somebody says, God told me to tell you, it now has an authority behind it that we've been taught. You obey God. And so if somebody is going to say, you know what? God really told me that you should give me your car. I'm just going to try that next time I'm at Rama for the Christmas. Day. I'm going to walk up and say, hey, I, I have a word of the Lord. Like he's, I have a word of knowledge for you. And God told me that if you would donate your car to my ministry, he's going to give you five more. And if they say no, I'm like, what? But I'm speaking on behalf of God, right? Yeah. And so it's really dangerous. And, and I've had to encourage friends that do this all the time that will say, and then God told me, and then God told me. I say, if you're going to say that, you better bring a chapter and a verse. Absolutely. Because God has spoken. If what you're going to say goes along with that, then what you're saying is unnecessary. And if it's contrary to that, then it's dangerous. Absolutely. So, you would say nine times out of 10 when people would prophesy, did, did they have like a prophecy school? Is there classes where you learn to prophesy? No, there wasn't a prophecy school. There was oh, not like an actual, Hey, here's our prophecy school. Now there were classes we had at Rama where people were encouraged to speak in tongues and give an interpretation or, you know, they would have some kind of the prophecy things involved. Now they did have a prayer school and the prayer school was learning how to pray, learning how to seek God in prayer, See, but really, one of the things that with 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 Raymond with Word of Faith is that they have no concept whatsoever of the sovereignty of God. I mean, they will flat they will say God is sovereign, but what they mean by that, and what they'll even say this, I've heard many of them say this, and I even said this at one time, is that he doesn't do what that means is that he won't do anything to violate his word. Well, mm-hmm. first of all, that defies any definition of sovereignty, even biblically or non-biblically. It defies any definition. I mean, if a king is sovereign, that means he rules. Yeah. So, but the other thing too, is they will flat out say God is not in control because mm-hmm. Satan is now the God of this world until his lease is up and Jesus comes back. Well, I mean, that's borderline blasphemous for one thing. Cause I mean, God is in control. Yeah. I mean, Ephesians clearly tells us that he does everything after the counsel of his own will. God has decreed. Now is God the author of sin? Absolutely not. But he is sovereign over it when it, where it happens. I mean, so it, it's, but one of the, I, I say all that to say with the prayer school is many times it was learning how to, as they would say, pray out the will of God, because God cannot do anything until we give him permission or will yes. not do anything until we give him permission to. So many times it's, and honestly, that create, that puts a huge burden on the person who's listening to that, because basically they're trying to step into the shoes of God and be sovereign because they've got to pray it out. They've got to do it. And if they don't do it, God's hands are tied. So that's what it comes back to. And it's, I, I'd say that's extremely dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine there's something that God really wants to do, but man, until Caleb gets in line and asks, you know, gives me permission to do it, I can't do it. That, that sounds kind of blasphemous to me. God, you need me. You need me because you don't, you're not in control. I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now for those who are watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that Daniel has a very good reformed beard. Though I'm a reformed Baptist, uh, my Norwegian blood will not allow me to grow a beard. So um, what was it that began to really have you question what was going on that started the process of you leaving the Word of Faith movement? Well, it was a number of things. You know, honestly, I had a lot of flags 
nearly from the get-go at Rama. But part of the things you do is that you you're kind of taught to put those things out of your mind, just cast aside all doubt. And really, it's again, it's part of the thing of you know putting anything out of your mind, emptying your mind, if you want to say it that way. Um, kind of on a in a different context, but pretty much very similar. But on and on, things just kept happening, and I just like I've got to start asking some serious questions. One of the things that really shook me was um, I've always loved biographies, especially of famous missionaries. And one of my heroes at the time, and still one of my heroes of the faith to this day, missionary heroes, if you will, is Jim Elliott, um, the man who was killed for trying to reach the Alcas in Ecuador. So I read two books at the time uh, by his now late wife, Elizabeth Elliott, who we just lost her to heaven a few years ago. Um, but she wrote two books describing that one was called shadow of the almighty. And that was based almost entirely, except for a little commentary from her on Jim Elliott's journals when they were in Ecuador. And I remember reading this and Jim Elliott making these statements like Lord send me soon to the Alcas. I mean, cause I want to go reach the, I want to make contact and share the gospel with this tribe knowing he probably would get killed. There's a very good likelihood he would be killed, but the gospel was more important to him than anything, than even his own life. And people would call him a fool and he'd say, well, he's no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mm-hmm. And I read another one called Through Gates of Splendor, which was really more of a narrative of the story of um, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the others that were killed at, on the Curare River in Ecuador back in the 1950s. And I remember thinking to myself, and actually, I think I was sitting at a Starbucks on Lynn Lane in Broken Arrow when I mm-hmm. thought this, if I remember right. And I remember thinking, why is what I'm reading here? sounding so much more like the gospel than what I'm hearing and seeing around me. Shortly thereafter, I went to Uganda and it was the first time out being out of the country and I go to Africa and that was, you know, I've always, I'd always wanted to go and do something over there and overseas. Now I went at the time with my uh, pastor of the church, I, who I did come to faith in. I mean, it, it was very much a word of faith, prosperity, gospel church, but that being said, there were many true believers there. And I, 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 I do not doubt that for a second, but I went with him and funny, the funny thing is, you know, and and I, it's hard for me to say this because I hold no ill will towards him. He was very good to me, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to trash anybody that was sure. has never meant me any harm. But when I go there, when I went there with him, I, he was, you know, a prosperity gospel word of faith pastor. But I, at the same time, I'm seeing these people who live on almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mud huts. I mean, you name it. I mean, it's the pictures you see of these things don't do it justice when you see it up close and personal. It's a, it just, it, it does something to you. And I remember thinking to these people, you know, I almost get emotional talking about it. Mm -hmm. These people have such a joy and a love for Christ Mm -hmm. that most of us will never know. Yeah. But they have almost nothing. Yeah. And I, and then I come and sadly the prosperity gospel is huge in Africa too, but I come back to the States and it's always like, I'm, I'm, Pers- I'm I'm under persecution or oppression from the devil because I didn't get the car I wanted. Yeah, and I came back really angry, and it, to be honest with you, for a while I kind of backslid. I mean, I started doing a lot. Of, I started kind of living in some sin that I'm not proud of, but I mean, I just I didn't know what to do. I felt like everything was falling apart yeah. before me, and I started researching this, and I'm like, I've got to start asking some serious questions. And at the same time, I was praying, and I'm like, God. If word of faith is true, I want it. If it's not true, I want the truth. And I remember reading Josh McDowell some years before, and he was challenged by some 
Christian college students at the time when he was an atheist, it is a pre-law student. Mm-hmm. They challenged him. I dare you to go out and prove the Bible wrong. I challenge you to do it. He said, no problem. Well, he tried, but realized in the end he was wrong mm-hmm. and he came to faith in Christ. So my, my whole mindset at the time was if word of faith is true, it will stand up to the same kind of scrutiny. Yeah. And so I started researching this stuff. I'm like, I got to, maybe I should start listening to people that prior to that, I probably would have listened to very little, uh, namely Justin Peters, um, John MacArthur, many others. And I started seeking answers. And then it was then that I discovered some of the more blasphemous teachings that I was unaware of that I had heard kind of said at Rama, but I didn't read too much into it at the time. One of them being Jesus died spiritually, uh, Mm. that Jesus, when he came to earth, that he not only emptied himself of his privileges of being God, but he emptied himself entirely of his deity and walked the earth as a man. I'm like, that is not just heresy. That is blasphemy. Yeah. And so eventually I'm my, my world is falling apart, but I pick up and I move home to Georgia and I start watching this guy on YouTube named Jason Wallace. Yeah. And I was, I was very much not reformed at the time. Um, but I started watching his old show he had on the ancient past that, you know, he still has the videos up yeah. of. I'm like, I like this guy. He's really intelligent. Yeah. So I, after watching him for a while, I got, I, I looked up Christ Presbyterian Church in, uh, the, around the Salt Lake City area. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to call and just let them know, hey, I appreciate what you're doing and kind of everything. Well, I figured a secretary or somebody would answer. So I call, well, it's Jason Wallace. <laughs> and so I start having a conversation with him and I start telling him, you know, hey, I just came out of Word of Faith. I was, I said, are you familiar with Kenneth Hagin? He's like, oh, Daddy Hagin, absolutely. (laughs) And so he kind of sarcastically said that. I said, well, I held credentials for a season, a very short season, but for a season at Kenneth Hagin Ministries. And I basically denounced Word of Faith. And at the time I told him, I'm still moderately charismatic. I still believed in tongues at the time. I still believed in a lot of those things. Um, and I, you know, it's funny cause I told him, you know, how the Lord kind of opened my eyes and brought me out. And I said, I'm not, I know you're a Presbyterian. So I know you're a Calvinist. I said, I'm not a Calvinist, although I respected John Calvin. I mean, I always had respected Calvin as a vital part of church history, mm-hmm. but it, it, then he said to me, he said, well, you know, you say you're not a Calvinist, but what you just described describes Calvinism, how the Lord kept you yeah. because and so funny thing was he and I began talking every so often and he was a huge, he was such a huge blessing to me at the time. I mean, yeah. I just really, he, and he was never like, you know, Hey, repent of this heresy and everything. He just calmly explained it from the scriptures. And eventually I remember I started saying to him, I'm like, Jason, I don't understand all these mega churches trying to say, and they're being seeker friendly. I mean, the, doesn't the Bible say that no one seeks God and all are dead in trespasses and sins. And he said to me, you're sounding more and more like a Calvinist. <laughs> he said, you're a Calvinist. You just don't know it yet. For those who are listening, Jason was on our podcast too, not too long ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because he's, he's such a, <laughs> he's, he's got a fairly large audience. He's had, you know, TV shows and things like that, but his church is tiny. His church is, there's not that many people there. So yeah, you call, you get, you get him, but he's also, <laughs> he's in Mormon land where, you know, I'm in Oklahoma where you can swing a dead cat and hit five churches there. <laughs> you're, you got a 20 minute drive just to find something, right? You're not going to find a Mardell's uh, in the middle of Salt Lake City, Utah. No, not at all. 
uh, we call that God's but, Walmart here. So I'm going to go God's I, Walmart. Get my I, I used to love. Yeah, <laughs> I used to love Mardell. I, I still I wish we had one closer to where I live. But um, we uh, yeah, Jason had come to find out he was from Georgia. So he would come to Georgia. He came to Georgia the next year and he and I met up in person and had lunch okay. and went to church. But over time. I began to reform. My faith just began reforming. And yeah. I called him one day. I said, well, Jason, I guess I'm a reluctant reformed Baptist now. Yeah. <laughs> and, but honestly, so understanding the sovereignty of God and in reformed theology mm-hmm. has transformed my worldview. I mean, entirely. It's I, I take comfort in the sovereignty of God. I mean, even, you know, even when bad things happen, it's the fact is that bad when people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's only one good person that a bad thing happened to, and he volunteered himself. Yeah. And so the rest of us were not good people. And when I hear people, and I, and even people at Rama get that wrong so many times. It's like, well, people are, you know, they got a good heart, even though they make more of her choices. No, we are not good people. And when people say that, I'm like, good by whose standards? Yours or God's? God is the fact, you know. Justin Peters one time, uh, who I used to listen to a lot. I, I find him an interesting person. Um, I'm curious to see where this little path he's on. Cause it seems like he's getting closer to Jesus, but he was, he was talking about people who say that, Oh, most people are good. He says that are not self-reflective people because even people who are good that self-reflect will go, man, I thought a lot of bad things about a lot of people just during the course of the day. Like, you know what, that, that <laughs> the, the darkness that the human heart is capable of every single person is capable of incredible darkness. And I didn't know I was a Reformed Baptist. I mean, I grew up traditional Southern Baptist, never even heard the word Reformed. And I was talking to somebody, uh, I think it was a pastor when I was a youth pastor. He goes, you sound like one of those Reformed uh, guys. It's like, what's that? <laughs> so I started saying, I was like, yeah, we got a few things in common. Um, but I'm a, I'm a theological mutt. I'm, I'm all over the place. I, I get myself in trouble. I'm, so I'm still in a traditional Southern Baptist umbrella. Our church, if I call it reformed, nobody in the church has a clue what I'm talking about, except for maybe the elders. Sure. Um, I'm a post-millennial <laughs> annihilationist. So uh, they, the, the Southern Baptists kind of keep me quiet sometimes because they don't want me to make uh, too much noise. Well, I'm post-millennial too. So, I mean, that's... Hey, there we go. Well, with the reformed <laughs> camp, that tends to be, uh, yeah, we tend to be post-millennial. We're coming sure. on strong, man, dude. Uh, everybody else is all like, oh, man, the world's getting worse. I was like, no, nah, man, the church is getting cleansed. <laughs> like, we're just waiting right, the, right around the corner's revival. Uh, so you went through this long journey. Let me ask you this. Have you spoken in tongues since you left the Word of Faith moment? Early on, I did. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't doing it as much, but um, I was still moderately charismatic even after i embraced reformed theology i still believed yeah. it for a period eventually it i i was like well i was wrong on all these other things i guess it's time to ask hard questions about tongues and yeah. about you know the continuation of the apostolic gifts and it was it was one it was kind of scary for me because again I, as a charismatic i was always afraid of blaspheming the holy spirit but i realized also that God, I, 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 the Bereans were noble for checking everything against yeah. the scriptures. So I do not believe God's going to hold it against me for simply examining yeah. what I've always believed in light of scripture. And so I did. And eventually I had to conclude that tongues was not. And the funny thing was my wife, when we were dating, I prayed with her to receive what I thought at the time was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I wasn't word of faith. Yeah. I, I denounced it. 
so it was really a journey. But finally, I pretty much had to repent to my wife and say, hey, I believe I led you the wrong way there, and I'm sorry. Yeah. And so as I my as I so finally I kind of took the position. I said uh, at the church I was going to at the time, uh, the associate pastor there and I became good friends, and we still are, even though we live in different states now. But um, I was talking to him about I don't know if I'm a cessationist. I mean, I still believe God heals when He wills. I believe God can cause give somebody the ability to speak in tongues at times when he wills as you know as you mentioned earlier with your story in hungary that's perfectly biblical god i don't not doubt for a second god does that i said but i believe it's as he wills and he said well what you just what based on what you just told me you're a cessationist and i said how he said well as cessationists we don't believe that god quit healing we believe that god does heal when he wills but the gift of healing has ceased yeah it said the, the sign gifts have ceased, but that doesn't mean God still can't do those things as he wills. Of course he can. None of these guys that are high up in these churches, nobody is being healed by their shadow. Nobody's touching no. their cloak in miraculously. Now, let me ask this question. I'll, we'll wrap up here in a second. Um, did you ever see somebody that was an amputee get healed at Rama? No. Did you ever see anybody uh, that was overweight uh, a danger to their health miraculously shrink their waistline. I heard stories of it happening in the past by other faith healers, but no, I had never saw it. <laughs> do you think real sincere healings were happening at Rama, or do you think most of them were fake? I think a handful of times some people were healed, but that, again, that, that goes back to God is sovereign and he's merciful. So I, I don't think that had anything to do with their, working up their faith, I think that had to do with the fact that God is sovereign and he sovereignly chose to heal them. But I could probably count on just a few fingers how many times I saw that happen. In most cases, it was, you know, we'll continue to believe and, you know, sometimes your healing will come over time. When biblically speaking, when Jesus healed somebody, they were healed. There was, but the other thing is Rhema teaches in places like Rhema teach that you can lose your healing by your lack of faith. Yeah. Well, we don't have one example in scripture of Jesus ever healing somebody or even, you know, the apostle Paul or anybody else by the power of the Holy spirit, healing somebody and them ever losing it. We don't, I, there's not one example of that. So that's a problem. Is, yeah. The reason I've kind of been on this Rama Bethel charismatic kick lately, the reason I've kind of been digging my heels in a little bit is because I have to deal with the aftermath. Other people, I, I don't say I'm not dealing with it, but I'm, I'm having to counsel people who are trying to figure out why they didn't get their miracle. And in the word of faith movement, the reason you don't get your miracles because you're not good enough. You don't really love God as much as you think you do or he would have done it. You don't really have enough faith. And so I see it destroy people's faith. And it breaks my heart to see people who love the Lord buy into this idea um, and a verse I'm sure you heard all the time at Rama, you know, Jesus says greater works than even I will do. People cling on to that and say, see, we're supposed to be doing even greater works. And he's like, you have to qualify that. Can you forgive people's sins? No. <laughs> Can you bring yourself back from the dead? No. Well, then you can't do a greater miracle than Jesus. Maybe it's not in scale. Maybe it's in scope. Maybe that we get to preach to a lot more people than he could 2000 years ago. Maybe we can take the message further because I got an airplane and he didn't, right? You know, um, but just a little twist like that make a big difference. 
and I see all the damage it causes and they don't seem to police themselves. They're, I don't see the charismatic people saying, hey, guys, Bill Johnson's a false prophet, but we still believe in prophecy. I, I, it's, it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. And I think that's what's really dangerous. It is. Now, you'll hear people say things like, well, Rick Joyner or Bill Johnson, they're, we don't go along with what they're doing. They're too extreme. You will hear that. But in most cases, people typically, if they're, that's typically not the case. You have a handful yeah. of people there that will. But that's typically not the case because you really don't have a standard by which you measure it by at that point. It kind of when you're there, when you're in that mindset and Caleb, I mean, the stories you're talking about with people's faith being crushed. I mean, people think, well, maybe I didn't love God enough or maybe I didn't have enough faith. Well, the good news and the bad news is, no, you don't love God enough and no, you don't have enough faith. But that's where the the sovereign grace of God comes in. None of us do. On our best day, we don't have enough faith for anything. On our best day, we don't love God enough. That's why we need his grace. And understanding that brings you to, and when, when you come to understand that, and it's, and I've been there, I did, I've not necessarily over a miracle, but my whole world fell apart, you know, and I was grasping at straws, like, what do I, spiritually speaking, what do I do? And when I began to understand that I am a sinner and that on my best day, I'm still a sinner and I don't, on my best day, I don't love God enough. On my best day, I don't have enough faith for anything. That's, it brought me to a place of brokenness that was wonderful because then I realized it wasn't, it was all about the grace of God. And in the end of the day, at the end of the day, if it was our faith that depended on it, if it was how much we love God, at the end of the day, God couldn't get all the glory. Right. That's why, that's why it's all of grace not of works truly in every sense of the word because God doesn't share his glory with anyone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, that, that verse played a big role in my life. Uh, when I, I was a glory thief or I served God because it got me attention and, uh, you know, I was moving up that ladder. It's like, I'm going to be a big name preacher and I'm going to have, you know, all this stuff and God just, Nope. Took away my ability to (laughs) preach for about six months and, uh, massive panic attacks. Couldn't leave my house. Till I realized some godly men in my life said, you're a glory thief. You need to repent. I repented and I could preach again. Now that fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge always lingers in the back of my head. And I better make sure that I don't do any of this stuff for, to make Caleb more famous. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed it. This was a great discussion. I, I learned some. I hope those listening got to learn a little bit. And you can see uh, this wonderful transition of how God is faithful. He could save somebody in a word of faith church, but man, if they're saved, he's not going to leave them there because it can be a dangerous, toxic place that Mm -hmm. crushes people's hopes and view of God. What I say all the time, man, a cult, it uh, raises man and lowers God. And so we have to be steadfast and kind and loving and call the stuff for what it is. We don't, we're not denying the supernatural or the ability of God to work. We're just saying these guys up here who say they talk to God all day long, they're talking to themselves. Daniel, yep. thank you for being here. Appreciate your time and uh, God bless. Absolutely, Caleb. It's an honor. Thank you. God bless.